Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Alassian Ecosystem Podcast. It's bug fixing time. This is episode 99, and my name is Ryan Spilkin. I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell. Y'all ready to squash those bugs? Let's do this. I was trying to decide if I wanted to do the, the Duke Nukem reference. <laughs> Matthew is not ready to squash bugs. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I came here to record a podcast and to squash some bugs, and I'm, I guess I'm doing both all yeah, the time. You are doing great. <laughs> well, as usual, we start in the cloud. Since our last podcast, there have been several updates and some useful features that if you are using the software as a service that you might find to your liking, but one of them, it's a little puzzling to me. The first update I read from this this one is you can now turn off your Jira keyboard shortcuts. Matthew, you I, seem like... I love this update. What? Because, you know, every day at 3 or 4 p.m. when I just start smashing my face into the keyboard, <laughs> now it won't be changing my tickets. This is, this is such a thing I needed. <laughs> I, I actually have some fine motor skill issues, and I'm constantly hitting keyboard keys that I don't intend to hit. And so when I have a, when I have Jira open, I'm, I have accidentally assigned things to people at times just because of my fingers not going quite where they're supposed to go. Mm. So I, from the standpoint of someone with a little bit of mobility issue, it's, it's actually a really nice thing to be able to turn that off. You know, thank you for bringing that perspective in because I didn't even, it didn't even strike, it didn't even hit me. And that's absolutely valuable. So if you need to turn off your keyboard shortcuts because you have trouble or because you just collapse onto your keyboard in a weeping uh, heap every, <laughs> every afternoon, uh, you can now turn those off in the cloud. You're also, they have also improved your issue search in classic projects throughout the Jira experience. And really what it comes down to is just they've added some sub filters in the built-in filters that can help you quickly narrow down the issues uh, in a very deliberate way. In the roadmap feature, if you're using the software boards, you can now right-click on epics to change their color because sometimes that blue just doesn't match uh, the work that's being done. Mm -hmm. Over on Confluence, uh, this is interesting. You might remember on a recent episode of the podcast, we discussed bulk archiving of pages. Well, bulk archiving pages will sometimes create um, errors that spawn off uh, extra pages. And now the cloud platform will pick up on those and let you know that those pages also need to be archived. They've also added smarter at mentioning in Confluence to where now when you go to at mention someone, it's going to look at your most commonly at mentioned individuals first, which is... Ooh. Yeah, this is something that I don't know if Slack has recently added this or if it's been there for a while, but I've definitely been noticing it and appreciating in Slack, when I go to at mention, it's it's whoever I've most recently done it. Having that in Confluence is super nice. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, and finally, over in Bitbucket, workspace admins are now able to edit the groups on their workspaces. So there was a bug that limited workspace admins from doing some functions. That bug has been squashed in the cloud. And Finally, in Bitbucket, there's the code search in the source browser, where you can now search for code relating to the repository that you're in from the source browser. So for those of you who are searching through various 
uh, repos to find your code. It will be getting a little easier in the cloud. And we will, of course, link to those updates in the show notes. Excellent. Moving to the world of server, Jira Server in particular, Atlassian has released Jira Software 8.11.1, a bug squashing release. A number of bugs have been resolved in this version, particularly um, some batched notifications being executed more frequently, fixing some batch email notifications not being logged properly, resolving an issue with the DVCS GitHub connector. A, a lot of, you know, things that pr- a lot of these are probably going to impact developers the most. A couple of those are plugins for Bitbuckets. Um, but a, a number of good, properly squashed bugs in 8.11.1. And in Jira Service Desk, um, a bug fix release for 4.11.1. Um, a number of bugs that have been fixed, um, batch notification job not being executed frequently enough, Some an issue with the Jira server mobile app not connecting to Jira, and uh, let's see, a language support page introduced in 4.11.0 was not loading correctly. Um, again, some properly squashed bugs, 4.11.1, um, and of course, as always, we'll be linking to these in the show notes. Over in Confluence 772, uh, similar list of just sort of bugs, a couple stories. Um, I think 772 is uh, a little underhyped. Uh, this one, this one definitely could have used a bit more on the hype train for the uh, for the, re- the release notes here. Notably, webhooks for Confluence. Uh, obviously, uh, this hasn't been a big need in my life because I didn't realize this was missing. But Confluence Cloud has webhooks. Jira Server and Data Center has webhooks. These are uh, kind of things you can you can hook into, for lack of a better term, to um, integrate uh, with other tools. So, for instance, you could have Slack push something to Confluence using a webhook. You know, create an action there. Um, so, yeah, this was uh, submitted as a feature suggestion to Alassian in May of 2017, and a mere three years and three months later. We have webhooks in Confluence Server, and not just in. It's also notable. It's in Server and Data Center because uh, one of the comments had said, "Please don't make this Data Center only." That's happening a lot these days. We want it both. Uh, so yeah, uh, underhyped. Hopefully, we'll have some like cool blog posts soon, though maybe not because um, obviously it's a fairly limited target audience for this. But Confluence Server and Data Center now have webhooks uh, here in the year 2020. That's pretty sweet. Also, a story about uh, rebuilding indices on nodes uh, in a cluster. That's cool. Uh, And a bunch of bug reports, uh, a bunch of bug fixes around page property reports, which I find interesting. So I suspect here they they sort of like uncovered one thing and it led to a bunch of others. So there's some um, improvements in how many pages it loads, how well it performs, how quickly it loads. There was a bug fix related to label-related queries in general, which page properties reports use labels. So um, as a heavy user of page properties reports, I'm glad to see this. I've done some before that do have... uh, I've I've done them before where they've had upwards of 1,000 pages included, uh, and it does start to, to become challenging. So it's nice to see some fixes here. I totally didn't see that the thing about the webhooks. I just didn't even. Yeah. Like I, I, at first I was like, why is this a story and not 
what is this? Surely, like I was like, maybe there's something broken with webhooks, but I got final story. Oh, there weren't webhooks. <laughs> that's a big, yeah. that's a BFD yeah, right it's there. Kind of a big deal. That's a big friggin' deal. That's that's the you want to integrate Slack with Confluence? Well, now you can. You couldn't. But now we could build an integration to say a page pops in and I want to apply a label through a chat bot. I could build a chat bot to apply labels through a webhook. You could have written something to the API before, but being able to do it through a webhook is so much easier right. and faster. So the last episode of the podcast, we talked about Bitbucket Server 7.5. Um, there were some bug fixes released in that. Um, we have not seen any new releases around or any information around any new releases of Bitbucket Server. So for now, um, sit tight and more details next episode. We'll keep checking those release notes so you don't have to. And uh, yeah, light week overall for uh, Atlassian releases, updates, etc. Uh, I think it's uh, it's back to school time, so everybody probably took a little bit of holiday and uh, it slowed down, and that's that's great. Um, but there was a press release that we thought was interesting, um, and we're actually going to link to a TechCrunch article about Slack and Atlassian strengthening their partnership with deeper integrations. Um, uh, as as TechCrunch observed, and I've I've seen this similar sentence in other publications, so it is probably one of those things that that got picked up or fed to different places. Uh, a lot of partnerships between tech companies they are really partnerships on paper. You know, you you don't really do much with it. You say we're going to partner, and it facilitates some sales or whatnot. But you don't get a lot of collaboration. Uh, Atlassian and Slack you know, seem to actually be uh, making hay out of their partnership. They're they're doing some cool stuff. They've They've shipped a variety of different product integrations. Uh, Elastin's got help on. Um, there's a ton of Jira notifications being sent through Slack now, and they've got some tracking on that. Uh, the latest sort of push that I find really interesting is uh, really around authentication. Um, so they they mention uh, unfurling. So if you've ever put something in, like a URL into Slack, uh, it'll present a little preview of that. Um, but that preview works for public things. It doesn't work for things that require authentication because you won't be able to see it. What they're highlighting here is uh, sort of a behind-the-scenes authentication between Slack and Atlassian's cloud environment. Um, so on the face of it, that's cool. That's nice. User doesn't have to do anything. They'll get you know some previews. They could click through. They could be automatically authenticated. So we're getting some hints at single sign-on here. Um, but as far as I'm aware, Slack isn't using the Atlassian ID for this. Uh, so this is a little bit of speculation. Is it wild speculation or is uh, it just moderate speculation? I would say this is, I'd say this is some, some feasible speculation. Hmm, I would agree. It may, this may not be the case, but it, it, it kind of looks to me like Slack might be getting into the identity and access management business a little bit here. Hmm. So just like on some sites you, where you can log in, with your Google account or your Facebook account or your Amazon account, this is logging you into your Elastian site with your Slack account mm. um, and just handling it. And that makes sense. Slack and Elastian are partners. They can build this in very neatly. Uh, but the, the speculative part is, will we see this with other tools like Zendesk or Salesforce or you know, really anything else out there um, in the future? If, if Slack is going to start authenticating you based on your email address, right, your business, your identity, and then passing that token to another provider and saying, this is this person and I know it's this person, we verified it. 
that's pretty cool. And it, and it opens the door for some really neat integrations where, you know, you can start doing stuff through chat and it just works um, very seamlessly uh, across these, these different distributed cloud tools. One thing that I found very interesting on that is that Slack is now looking at the capability of creating a user account for you in Jira when you interact with something on Slack, um, which immediately brings to my mind um, what happens to folks that have certain license tiers. Is that a thing that they should be cognizant of moving forward? Because if Slack's creating a user account for new interactions with users, uh, that could be something that admins might need to be aware of. Yeah, you've, you've got to be careful with your configuration there. And this goes back to the pre-service desk days where if you wanted users to authenticate to submit support tickets, they had to have a Jira account, which meant you had to have a license. With Jira service desk, they could be customers. And presumably with this configuration, you could have their account created automatically as a yeah. customer to submit things yeah. in. My, my sort of dream is the they send a Slack message. It creates a ticket in my service desk. I get notified in Slack. I respond in Slack. It updates the ticket, but then sends that message back to their Slack. Like that's yeah. my dream. I've looked at some tools that kind of facilitate that, that are pretty sweet. Um, but if Slack and Elastic build that in, that's very cool. Uh, for those of you who uh, um, uh, maybe you're not using Slack yet, or you, you've looked at it a little bit, uh, the article also mentions uh, that there's a new 50% off offer for Elastic users who want to use Slack. Um, my guess is, and I say this as somebody who I'm not a Slack salesman, um, though I do enjoy using it. Uh, my guess is it's limited time, right? So like it's not 50% for the life of your subscription. It's probably for the first year. And check what that second year cost is because Slack can be very expensive. Um, so make sure you're comfortable with it. You don't want to switch away in a year. Um, but we use Slack and Adaptivist. We're loving it. Um, it's definitely improving our, our communication. Uh, so if, if Slack is a thing you've been interested in, you've been waiting to pull the trigger, yeah, why not save some money? Take advantage of that. Fun fact, I learned that the preview that Matthew referenced uh, when you post a link and it pops up a preview, I learned that that's called an unfurl. Maybe <laughs> everyone else knew unfurl. that, but I was today years old when I learned that that's called an unfurl. Is that the official name? It's what they're using. That is. That's the unfic yeah. official name. All right. Well. That is the official name. And uh, you can most easily experience this by trying to post a GIF from Giphy that's more than two ah, meg in yes. size. And it will say that it did not unfurl because we it was too We don't know this from experience or extensive experimentation. <laughs> <laughs> in Adaptivist News, we've just launched our first ever State of Atlassian ecosystem report. And here to discuss that is Adaptivist CEO, Simon Hayton-Williams. Simon, great to see you. You too, Ryan. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, sir. You know, this is episode 99. So uh, you want to show back up for episode 100? Absolutely. I've got 99 episodes and, well, <laughs> figure out. All right, Simon. So you had a big hand in working on uh, this report, and it covers a tremendous amount of material. It covers all sorts of aspects in the Atlassian ecosystem, from customization and automation to the diversity of teams and deployments that are being used out there, all the way to like agile transformation and principles and DevOps strategy. That's a lot. And while reviewing that data and putting this report together, what surprised you the most? 
I think the biggest surprise was the uh, the level of uh, non-technical team use. We always knew it was out there, and clearly at, at Adaptivist, we uh, we use the tools ourselves. We use them for HR and all sorts of all sorts of uh, uh, business use cases. But we were quite surprised to see the amount of people out there uh, that are using Jira in, in those non non technical use cases. Does that stand out as the trend to follow? I think so, and I think I think you know one of one of the kind of learnings and one of the ways that we think about it is that development teams generally iterate really quickly and they pick the best tools for themselves uh, and they modify and shape those tools. And Jira is a great example of that. Look at how it's evolved over the years. Um, And I think that evolution, that rapid evolution of the tool um, is something that business teams can take advantage of. And how about the push to cloud, Simon? What What are your thoughts on that? Well, clearly, uh, you know, this is the first of these surveys, and we're going to run more of them. Um, and there is some evolution, some evolution and movement to the cloud. Um, it's early days yet, but you can you can absolutely see the push there. And for many people, the cloud is going to be the right option. And of course, it's one of one of three different options. You can host it yourself. Uh, people like us can host it for you. You can go to the cloud. And um, what we're seeing is a degree of a degree of pragmatism and people picking the right option for themselves. Yeah, it does seem like the report shows that even though Atlassian is pushing, there's still a little bit of hesitation. There's some some uh, qualms to overcome. Yeah. Well, you know, particularly for the larger customers, it, it's a non-trivial option. Um, actually, moving platforms is effort. It's it's not a not a frictionless process, um, and so you know, it's not something to be rushed into. Right on, Simon. How does Adaptivist fit in into the future of the state of Atlassian? Well, for the longest time, Adaptivist's mission was to be the biggest and best Atlassian partner by every reasonable metric. And, you know, it's very hard to say that we absolutely are that, but we're kind of we're kind of there or thereabouts. Um, and we're going to carry on being there and thereabouts. You know, we are we are going to be there for all the people using Atlassian and all of the new use cases. Uh, we're going to take our experience with doing the business stuff and we're going to help people uh, with that journey. If you're interested in reading the State of Atlassian report, you'll find a link to download it in our show notes. Simon Hayden-Williams, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Ryan. In other Adaptivist news, coming just around the bend, Matthew, you and I are going to do a webinar, right? So we'd like to invite our listeners to come drop in and hang out with us on this webinar. But what are we talking about? <laughs> Hopefully between now and then you will you will know, I was going to review uh, it, but maybe. To be, to be fair, I did only share the outline with Ryan this morning. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, webinar, y'all are invited. Uh, it is September 30th and the name of the webinar is scale your organization's Jira training using learn for Jira. So, uh, if you have any number of Jira users, chances are you have received a question about Jira. Uh, and the more users you have, the more questions you get, more users, more problems. (laughs) So, uh, Learn for Jira. We've talked about it before on the podcast. It's a uh, product that I manage and, and have been really pushing along for the last several years. Uh, native app in your Jira instance gives everybody training. You can search in it to get access to videos, or you can go through a course linearly. What we're going to talk about in the webinar is really how to approach organization-wide learning at scale. Uh, we'll talk about the difference between linear and just-in-time training, different uh, strengths of them, different things to think about, and, and how to approach them in different ways. Um, some tools that can help you with onboarding of people, uh, both, you know, so new people join a team, new people join a company, how do you get them up and running quickly and easily without a lot of overhead? Uh, we'll answer some questions. We'll do some demos. It's going to be a good time with Ryan and me. 
Uh, you are welcome to join us live on the 30th and hang out and uh, yeah, bring your, bring your questions. We'll make sure we've got a few minutes for those. And while we're busy tooting our own horn, Matthew, Learn has a new release, right? You got some cool new features that people might be interested in. Yeah. So last week we did a, a version 1.2.1 release. So the, the whole 1.2 series is around content management. And in 1.2.0, we released the ability to edit courses, edit chapters. You could set visibility on them or editing restrictions. You could um, add existing modules to a course or remove them or change the order of things. That's all cool. Uh, 1.2.1 that just came out actually lets you add custom content. So if you want to add your own videos stored on YouTube or Vimeo or add stuff from an iframe or add a PDF or add downloads to an exist to a video or like mix and match your content, you know? So for instance, maybe you, you look at the scrum course, but you want to add something about how your team does estimation uh. and you want to put that up there. Uh, you could not only add that estimation thing, but then you could limit the visibility of that to just your team using a Jira group uh, or make it visible to those teams that are using scrum and hide it from teams to do Kanban or whatever, you know, we're, the goal is to provide as much flexibility as possible. Um, we're working on a lot more content management features, um, to make this even better at scale, but, uh, yeah, join us on September 30th. We should have at least one or two more releases by then, uh, and more to come, uh, this, this, uh, fall. I'm, I'm really excited about how it's shaping up the direction it's going. And, uh, yeah, hope you'll, you'll check it out and join us then. So that's it for today. As always, thank you, dear listeners, for joining in. Uh, we'll have links to everything that we referenced today in our show notes. Don't forget that we have a survey. Uh, we are coming up on our 100th episode and would love, love, love to hear from you. Please do fill out that survey uh, for as we prepare for episode 100, the big 100. We're kind of excited about it. Woohoo! So yes, please connect with us on social media. Again, check out the show notes for links to useful things we've discussed today. Thank you as always for listening in and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. So now that we've established that Ryan put the wrong link in our, our notes in Trello. My pearls. <gasps> Where are my pearls to clutch? <laughs> I I show up. I do the job. I read what like you tell Ron me. Like Ron Burgundy <laughs> was on the teleprompter. <laughs>